the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Hi, I'm Tim DeMoss, and you found the Tim DeMoss Show. My guest in studio this afternoon is Dan Wheeler. Dan, you're you're a big sports guy, are you not? I am indeed, Tim. I used to host all the sports shows on QVC, always did the NFL shows, had a lot of Hall of Famers on over the years. So, yeah, I played baseball in college. I love sports. Yeah. Dan is, uh, mentioned QVC there, longtime host and been in radio TV for most of your life, right? Yeah, I hate to count how many years, but I think it's about 42. Wow. <laughs> Started uh, with an ABC affiliate in Springfield, Missouri, as the on-air sportscaster. Walked into the station, uh, was recommended by one of my pro- uh, professors from college, and they were having auditions, and I read, and I got it. And so I was on the air at 22, making a whopping $2.80 an hour. Wow. Well, when you do something you love, the money is incidental. Absolutely. Right? I told the owner I'd sweep the floors if he'd hire me. So. Yeah. I can remember I can remember that when I worked in state college at a top 40 station there and they had a Domino's pizza next door, they gave us pizzas for 5 bucks and cokes for a quarter and I'm working in top 40 radio with my roommates, playing music and giving CDs away. I was you know, at 20, 21 years old, I loved it. You, know? you can't beat it, especially no. the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> You're not kidding. Saturday afternoon, watching the scores roll in and watching college football, doing reports, all that. Uh, we have you in today because you've written a book on a more serious topic, a book called Hurricane of Love. And uh, there's a lot to unpack here. So I don't know about you. I'm, I, I'm a chronological guy, for better or worse. Sometimes they tell you jump in right in the boom and then back up or tell if, if, if I was a cinematographer, you know, they don't always just start when the kid was born and then they grow up and then it have. I tend to think that way, though. So that's how I've written out some questions. But you tell sure. me personally if you have a, uh, a preferred way of going through our chat and you can just take things wherever, whatever direction you want to go. Yeah, Tim, it's your show. <laughs> let's, let's just jump in. OK, well, good. Let's do that. Um, uh, my first question to you, just uh, the name of the book. Maybe we'll just start yeah. with that, Hurricane right. of Love. It sounds like it go different directions with that. So where'd that come from? What's what's behind it? Well, I talk about the first thing I write in my preface is that um, the day before my wife passed away, my niece, Tara, who's an exceptional writer, she has a blog. And in her blog, she wrote, my Aunt Beth's love was like a hurricane. It hit everyone in its path. And I said mm-hmm. to her, Tara, can I use that? I think I'll call her biography, Hurricane of Love, My Journey with Beth Wheeler. And it it was really true. I mean, she was the type of person, the minute you met her, you felt like you knew her all your life. And she just loved everyone. And she didn't judge anyone. And she always taught uh, our, our two girls to get to know someone's heart. You know, that way you don't have any preconceived notions of who they are. And that way you can look for the good in everyone. Great words of wisdom there. Um, of course, you, you were married for 
How many? 30? Almost 31 years. Okay. Yeah, and we were together 37. We dated for over six years. I didn't want to rush anything, but it was interesting. Wow. <laughs> I took yeah. three. I thought I took a long time. Well, yeah. Well, some of us move slow, and I'm definitely that person. But I was taking a train ride into Chicago one day. I was working at a Christian television station um, in the late 1970s. In fact, it was 1978. And this girl gets on the train after the train stopped and sat right in front of me. And there were all these other empty seats. And I'm kind of looking in the window because I didn't get a good look at her face. But I thought, wow, she looks cute. Yeah. And finally I thought, I'm going for it. I tapped her on the shoulder. I said, excuse me, uh, the book I'm reading is kind of boring. And I tried to sleep and I couldn't. Would you mind if I joined you? And she gave me this big smile and said, sure. And I was wow. like, all right, this is going well. So I, I go up, I sit by her. We talked all the way into the city. And when we got out at Union Station, I said, where do you work? And she said, the Civic Opera Building. I'm like, bingo, are you kidding me? So do I. We worked in the same building. Our nice. TV station was on top of that building. So we walk in and I said, would you like to get something in the cafeteria on the third floor? I've got some time. She said, Sure. I'm thinking, man, is this going well? I haven't gotten a no yet. So we get up. We get our food. We go through the line. I go to pay for it. I reach in my pocket, nothing. Go into my wallet, nothing. Go into my briefcase, not a dime, Tim. She had to pay for the first date, lunch, and she remembered – she told me that she was thinking, is this guy a con artist? Does he do this to a lot of women? Yeah. And I said, listen, I promise you I'll take you out later this week. And I did to an Italian restaurant that I couldn't afford. I think the bill was like 22 bucks or something. I about choked. Right, right. <laughs> I didn't have any money. But that meal led to thousands of others because that uh, girl's name was Beth Johnson, who later became Beth Wheeler. Wow. We're chatting with Dan Wheeler. Uh, you, you may know him from uh, QVC, I guess, 29 years yes, at QVC. Yes. And that, when did that wrap up, just for context? Just last year, at the end of 2017. They were great to me. They gave me a big retirement show, um, December 29th, and I parted on great terms, met with the CEO, and they, all, they wanted to know what I was going to be doing, and they're all behind me because I've since started a ministry, but uh, we can talk about that later on. Yeah. You did mention earlier that you were from... Michigan. Michigan. So when did you – you've been in the area, though, for the 30 yeah. years almost? At yeah, least about uh, 29 years here in the area okay. um, and have turned into a bit of a Philadelphian. But, you know, you never lose your childhood sports teams. I was always a Cubs and a Tigers fan. Okay. Well, you're allowed. That's okay, especially if you've lived there. That That's that's okay. Right. Uh, and is it was a QVC job what brought you yes. to the area? Yeah. QVC, okay. uh, when I started, you know, it was uh, people were still trying to figure it out. And boy, did it grow. And it turned into a job of a lifetime. You know, I interviewed almost every sports hero I had, guys like Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams and Mickey Mantle and just on and on and on. You know, everybody you could think of, Billy Martin, Whitey Ford. And um Interviewed a lot of um, musicians, you know, Hall and Oates, Michael McDonald. Launched a lot of CDs. Launched two for Willie Nelson. Launched two for Alabama. So it was a great career. Really? Traveled the world. Did shows from all around the world. Was your job initially um, remained somewhat constant all the way through? Yes, I okay. was a host, and uh, we usually did you know three hour shifts. Sometimes there were only two, but a lot of prep. People think QVC hosts only work when they're on the air, like you, right? Yeah, right. You only work just... an hour a day. Yeah, what a job! <laughs> <laughs> it's all the prep that goes into it. But wow. uh, 
my wife was always supportive. And actually, Tim, this is my first live interview about the book, Hurricane of Love, which uh, people can get right now at westbowpress.com okay. in their online bookstore or Amazon or other retailers. Uh, but it uh, it was an amazing journey, those three years. Um, my wife passed away in 2015, but QVC was great to me. But I talk a lot in the book about handling the stress of being this happy, cheerful, upbeat guy on QVC, knowing yeah. my wife was dying of cancer. Well, you mentioned um, in the book that one main goal is for people to get to know your wife, Beth. Now, when I read that, I was thinking, that's a pretty big goal in a way for for anybody. Um, and then I was thinking, recently we had an on-air giveaway with one of the ministries called Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah, and he had a book called The God You May Not Know. And kind of the slug line was, take the journey from knowing about God to knowing God. Big difference, right? Yes. Where you really, right? Yes. Yes. So I was, it's not the same, obviously, you wouldn't claim right. Beth's God, stuff like that. But, <laughs> yeah. but the idea yeah. of, you could sit here and tell us about Beth, and that's all we really have time to do in a way, is to scratch the surface. But it sounds like you're, you know, you, there's so much there that you're like, you know, she'd be, she would be worth knowing and taking time to yeah. read through, not yeah. just here's this story, but right. who she was. Right. I did a series of blogs for QVC after she passed away, and they became very popular, and people were like, you should, telling me you should write a book. And her Celebration of Life Service is on YouTube. It's um, Beth Wheeler's Celebration of Life Service. And that day it was live streamed out of our church. Close to 10,000 people watched it and another 37,000 plus have watched it since. And I've heard from people around the world saying, I want to meet Beth in heaven because of what that service was all about. We really wanted it to be a testament to her faith. And she just faced death so courageously. She was seeing heaven in her final days. We'll continue our conversation when the Tim DeMoss Show returns on AM560, WFIL, and WFIL.com. You're listening to a podcast of the Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM560, WFIL, and at WFIL.com. Hi, I'm Tim DeMoss, and you found The Tim DeMoss Show. Dan Wheeler's with us. Tell us about why people should know this Beth. I mean, there's a lot to share. She she was just the type of person, and she had – I wrote in the book at least a dozen best friends, but I've thought about it since, and it was – Several dozen. So many people considered her their very best friend. That's like a big testament where everyone it thinks is. that, oh, we're but we're best friends. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually. <laughs> yeah. But they, they did. And, and so many of our daughter's friends considered her their second mom. Some of them were closer with Beth than they were with their own mom. She just had this way of comforting people. Like when you came to our house, you had to be comfortable. If you weren't wearing comfy clothes, she was getting you sweatpants and a shirt and giving you food and saying, just chill out on the couch. And But she knew how to live in the moment. And that's another lesson from the book. You know, we have a little sitting room in our home where you go to the right and it's through these French doors. And the only thing in there is a couch and a lazy boy chair and a hutch. Okay. And there's no TV and it's the perfect conversation room. Beth used to love to have her morning coffee in there. And so many times as I'd be walking through, getting ready to go into QVC or whatever, she would pat the couch and say, "Come here." Our nickname was Cakeys. It started out baby cakes, cakes, and then Cakeys. And she'd pat the couch and say, "Cakeys, come sit. Let's have coffee." And regrettably, Tim, so many times I would say, "Beth, I don't have time to sit. I've got this project. I've got to get into QVC, and I'm rushing." And you know, once we got that stage four cancer diagnosis, 
I always sat. That became priority number one, being with my wife. And I, I consider it a gift that God gave us those three years. Some people die instantly. They say goodbye to their husband or wife in the morning, and they don't come back. I had three years to tell her I loved her, you know, 10 to 15 times a day and to show her I loved her. And I learned a lot about true love, sacrificial love, is uh, being able to care for someone when they're sick and 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 meet their needs. That's true love, not what the world says love is. But um, yeah. she would have done it for me a thousand times. And I got to tell you, it was an honor to care for her. Chatting with Dan Wheeler. The book is called Hurricane of Love and uh, chronicling your, I guess, how you met, the whole thing, really. From, but Would you say if you step back and how, how many pages are in the book? Yeah, what's 220, I think. But, so uh, it's an easy enough read, but yeah, would yeah. you say you know, what percentage is you know, leading up to and then is about the three years? Well, I start out, the first chapter is called, They're Just Going to Tell Me I Have Cancer. And I was at work. It was um, October 19th, 2012. I remember the date clearly. And and then she passed away in October, so this is a tough time of year for me. Uh, But um, she would say – she would complain of these stomach aches and stomach pains, and she would describe it like the Pac-Man character in the video game eating away at her stomach. Um, And I'd say, Beth, get to the doctor. And she said – she would say, I don't want to go to the doctor. They're just going to help tell me I have cancer. And I'd be like, good grief, Beth, get to the doctor. Yeah. I finally had to make her go. And then that day at work, uh, I get this text from her, come home immediately. Please come home. Where are you? I came out of a meeting and I called home and she's like, the nurse, as they were doing the ultrasound, said, I don't like this. It looks like cancer. She goes, I left. The doctor called, said, we've got to biopsy this. And of course, that was the longest weekend of our life, waiting to find out if it was cancerous. And it came back the next Tuesday that it was. Wow. And then we had a million questions. And then the. What, the what was that day like when you first actually heard officially? Oh, this man. Is- it was, well, you just have a million questions. Where is the cancer? How bad is the cancer? What can we do? Can we operate? Do we radiate? And then your first, our first goal became to find the best cancer surgeon in the Philadelphia area, and we did, and he was great. And then the hospital was so big, I'm gonna, not going to name the hospital, sure. but it was a big hospital in Philadelphia, and you're waiting in a waiting room. It looks like an airport terminal, like you have computer screens that track your patient when they're in surgery, who the doctor is, when they're out of it, when they're in their recovery, when they're in their room. And you get a phone call. They don't even come to see you in person after the surgery. So this lady calls my name, and you're in front of dozens of people waiting. Wow. And I go up there, and I pick up the phone, and the doctor says, Mr. Wheeler, um, I got what I could, unfortunately. And when I heard the word unfortunately, it was like a bomb exploded in my mind. I could hardly hear what he said. He said, unfortunately, it's a more aggressive form of cancer than we thought. It's spread throughout our abdomen, and um, it's amongst too many internal organs, so our only option is chemotherapy. Wow, Wow, that (laughs) – I got to tell you, my daughter and I, you know, she's a nurse, so she took the phone and started putting on her nurse's hat, and then we went in the back room, cried our eyes out. And then we decided we got to call everybody we know, every family member. I want her on the top of everyone's prayer list. Yeah. And uh, but boy, that was a tough day. Absolutely. Chat with Dan Wheeler, who's written a book called Hurricane of Love. That's kind of out, but not yet out. It's like out in paperback, but coming yes. out in hardback. Well, actually, it's out. It's available right now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and at westbowpress.com. And how do you spell that? W W E S T B O W Westbow Press. 
Amazon.com, all one word. Okay. Put in there and go in the online bookstore. Um, and Amazon is taking pre-orders on both, hardback and softcover. But hardback will be out with the softcover everywhere Monday the 15th. So you are the first. Wow. Tim DeMoss is breaking wow. a story here. Unbelievable. <laughs> Was uh, the concept of putting a book together somewhat already yeah. in your head? You know, Tim, when we were going through the cancer, um, especially the last summer, I knew that some amazing things were happening and I should be journaling. And I, and even at the end, as tired as I was, I would scribble down notes of what happened every day. I kept it on my calendar. And then um, I decided to do this series of blogs and everyone was like, you need to write a book. And then as the years that year went by, I thought, yeah, I do need to tell this story. I felt like God wanted me to tell this story and that would be, kind of become my life's work. Um, and so I did, and I've got to tell you, it was the hardest book to write. I wrote another book called Best Seat in the House about all the great athletes I interviewed yeah. in my career. And that was an easy, much easier book to write because it was like, here's a chapter on Mickey Mantle, here's a chapter on Joe DiMaggio, here's a chapter on Shaq and all these. Yes. But this book was so filled with emotion. There were days I sat in my office this past year in the spring, and I would just break down and cry, and I couldn't write one word. And then other days it would flow. But, um, you know, I'm not an Ernest Hemingway, but I, I think I communicate the story and the miracles. We saw several miracles along the way, which I hope I can tell you about. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like you to do that. And just to, for folks who are just tuning in, uh, as I'm, you know, there are several – one of the questions I even had just in general was – what you uh, what you hope for people to come away with, or um, not that? And I know some. It's funny because I've I've interviewed a lot of musicians over the years who want, are a little noncommittal. They could say in general what they want, but they kind of want to leave the experience up to the the, the listener. Uh, with the, so with the book though, do you do you have a few specific yes. purposes? I really hope this is yes. what gets through. I really do, and that is number one: to live in the moment. Life is short. We're not promised tomorrow. You never think it's going to happen to you. I mean. Tim, we had it all. I had this great career on QVC, beautiful home. Our family was all great, grandchildren, beautiful children. And when you get a stage four cancer diagnosis, that all becomes kind of meaningless. It's like you take a match to it and light it. It's all going to burn up anyway. And um, it became so important to just be with Beth, her and I. And we would, that last summer, we would sit out on two lounger chairs in the back by the pool and we would just hold hands, not not say much. Sometimes we'd talk about heaven, wonder what it would be like, but we were just together and we would watch the sunset and we noticed that the birds would start singing as the sun started going down and then we'd go in the house. And you know, in the summertime, several times the last couple summers, I've gone out there and sat in a lounger I would sit in and imagine she's there and I'd wait till sundown and I'd walk in the house and I'd wonder what she's doing in heaven. Don't go anywhere. More conversation is on the way. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Thanks for tuning in to The Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Thanks for checking out The Tim DeMoss Show. Dan Wheeler, our guest this afternoon. That's one lesson. Live in the moment. Number two, tell the people you love that you love them and don't ever hold back. And if you have a grievance with somebody, call them today. If you have a family member you haven't talked to in years, don't let something happen. Take care of it. Get it over with. The person, if you're holding a grudge, the only person that's harming is you. And 
finally, I want people to know that God is with us even in our darkest hours. I used to think about the verse when we were going through this, the verse in the Bible that says in Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are called according to his purposes. And I would pray and say, really, God, stage four cancer, this can work together for good. And now in hindsight, Tim, I can look back and say, it's true. I mean, I'm a changed person. God's called me into the ministry. I formed a ministry called Fearless Faith. We're on Facebook under the title Fearless Faith every morning with your morning cup of inspiration. We have mugs, and it says that, and people donate, and we send them a mug. Um, but um, And some exciting things are happening now with the book, and um, I miss Beth every day, every day, and grief hits you out of the blue sometimes, but I know where she is. And I know I'm going to see her again. So that's the final story. Make sure you're right with your maker and know that he will not leave you or forsake you. Dan Wheeler, uh, our guest this uh, afternoon. It's the Tim DeMoss Show. If you're just tuning in, the book Hurricane of Love is what we're chatting about uh, today and a lot of different angles we're taking on it. I'm thinking you look back now and you see that the cancer part of Beth's journey and yours alongside her was three years. But when you first heard it, you don't know it's going to be three years. Yeah. Um, right. What was what was it like, the formation of the timeline? And, of course, you look back afterwards, you can kind of maybe frame it. Right. Well, but, after the surgery, we met with the doctor, and my daughter and my wife went into his office, and my wife was sitting next to me, and I looked on his desk as we were waiting for him and had Beth Wheeler stage four cancer. And I tried to keep my wife's attention away from that. I texted my daughter, and she said, oh, no. But they never really actually told us it was stage four. They told us what we were going to do and the treatment, and we had to do the chemo. And then they said, uh, we're going to start the chemotherapy the first of the year. So this was early December. And he said, I suggest you take a vacation somewhere you've always wanted to go. And you know, on the way home, my wife was worried, what does that mean? And I said, well, I think he told us that because we're going to start the chemo, and you might not feel as good. And so we went to Disney World, took my grandson, and Seeing, um, you know, Disney World through the eyes of a grandson is healing. But I remember just looking at Beth, wishing I could just freeze the moment because we didn't know. Um, As we got very close to the end, we were in this big hospital down in Philadelphia, and then my goal became to get her home. I didn't want her to die in a hospital. I was walking out one night because I was living with her in her room, but I was sleeping on this little chair, and I wasn't sleeping at all. So I finally got a hotel next, not far from the hospital that had shuttles that left real early in the morning to the hospital and came back late at night. And I was walking out with our main doctor, and she said, Dan, you have no idea the impact your wife— and your family has made on this hospital. She said, what you're facing and the way you have treated everyone so kindly and the way you're, you're praying and you're, I, I see you going into other patients' rooms and praying with them, she said, that's had an impact on this whole hospital. You have no idea. And she said, you know, Dan, I know you're believing for a miracle, but let me tell you, when someone your wife's age comes into our office with the type of cancer your wife has, we give them maybe a year. She said, your wife has made it three years. That's a miracle. Wow. And she, and she stage four is when you first got the news, which is kind of crazy, right? It's not like you even had a chance to warm up to the idea of stage one, two. All of a sudden, 
stage four. It was a meteor rocking your world. Like. Yeah, it was advanced. It, it's called endometrial cancer. It was the lining of her uterus, but by the time we got they got to it, it had gotten outside of the uterus and spread. But you know, we we saw. I mentioned miracles along the way. Um, one morning, I was at home when my wife checked into a local hospital out by where we live because she was running a fever and. When you have a fever and you have cancer and you're on chemo, you have your immune system is very low, and so you can't mess around with it. Got her right into the hospital, and then this rash broke out. And at first, they gave her a, a bag of um, drugs and then sent her home. And then that, that Sunday, it came back. And um, while she was there, my daughter Kirsten and I were taking turns staying with her overnight in this hospital. But I was still working on QVC, and I'm hosting late night shows, working till two or three in the morning, getting home and getting up and going and being with her all day in the hospital. You know, and that stress just takes a toll. But I get a call first thing in the morning from my daughter, and she said, "Dad, you have to get in here right now. Mom's platelets crashed." I'm like, "Okay, I think I know what platelets do, right? They help the." the clogging of the blood. Yeah. And she goes, yeah. And I said, how bad is it? And she goes, well, you and I, a normal person's uh, platelets will be 150,000 to 400,000 per square milliliter. I said, what are moms? She said, 3,000. You know, 150,000 to 400. Cheers was 3,000. So I let my dog out and Beth and I always believed that this, a cardinal was kind of God's sign that was gonna, everything was going to be okay. I got that from my mom. Yeah. And I hadn't seen a cardinal in a long time because we'd been so busy, I hadn't filled the bird seeds, uh, the bird feeders. So I came into the kitchen. I said, God, I sure could use a cardinal. And literally on cue, a red cardinal flew and landed right outside my kitchen window no on the bird feeder and looked at me. And you know, you could say, okay, that's a coincidence. Well, we got into work. I got into the hospital, and they had given Beth a bag of platelets, should have boosted her levels. They went down to 2,300. And then bells are going off, and it's like, oh, my gosh, it's like cold blue almost. Everybody's running around the hospital, and they decide they need to transfer her down to Philadelphia. We talked to her doctor, so I had to drive down. We waited all day for that to happen. Because she needed HLA matched platelets. Um, it stands for something like human lutocyte antigens. I'm not okay. sure. I'm not a doctor. But they, the, the Red Cross scours the country to get the perfect match with a computer program. And when those platelets finally came in, it would boost Beth's uh, levels up to 50,000. And the next day, they'd be back down to 30,000 by night twenty. 15, then it get down to danger. So we were on this roller coaster of emotions. Wow. But I'll never forget following her from the hospital to downtown. Well, she had gone ahead in the ambulance, but I remember I was so scared. I, I call it the scariest drive of my life because I don't know what's ahead. I don't know if they're going to let me stay with her in this big hospital down in Philadelphia. And I remember praying, God, man, I'm scared. I'm not going to pretend I'm not. And, uh, that verse in Isaiah came to my mind, I will keep that man in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And I had a peace that came over me. And then I called my daughter and she said, Dad, you've got this. She goes, five years, I would have never believed you could do what you're doing. She goes, but you've turned into a great nurse. You have listened to me. You've learned how to move Beth, how to, how to help your mom. I mean, how to help mom up to the bathroom and all that. And she goes, you know how to ask the right questions. You're going to be okay. But Boy, then the last three weeks. But you talk about miracles. Um, before we went to downtown, we were in this local hospital, and the, 
day I met his, her doctor, I'm going to call him Dr. Kine. That's not his name. All right. Beautiful, uh, wonderful gentleman from England, had the biggest smile. The day I met him, he turned to me and said, and how are we doing, Mr. Wheeler? And I said, well, I've been talking to the great physician about our pa- patient. He got the biggest <laughs> smile. He said, well, that's who I talk to about every patient. But one day in the afternoon, my daughters and a friend of my wife's were there, and Kirsten looked at me and said, Dad, you need to get out of here. You need to take a break. I see it in your face. Go to the health club, sit in the sauna, relax. I said, okay, and I'd been trying to stay strong I, emotionally for my wife and for my daughters. I didn't want to cry in the, in the room. I get to the elevator. The elevator opens up. There's nobody on it. As soon as the doors close, I just lose it. I'm weeping uncontrollable. I get off at the bottom. I'm leaning against the, uh, the wall, and I'm crying, and I hear, Mr. Wheeler, Mr. Wheeler, and I look, and it's this doctor, Dr. Kine. Now, this is a medical doctor in a hospital. He runs up to me, throws his arms around me, hugs me, and says, what's wrong, Mr. Wheeler? I said, Dr. Kine, that's my life up there. That woman is everything to me, and I'm just wondering if God's hearing my prayers. And he goes, okay, you want to know if God's hearing your prayers? Let me tell you what just happened to me. I have 20 patients I've got to get to to make the rounds. I'm never late. Three minutes ago, I was right here at this elevator. Something told me I was supposed to turn around and go back to the cafeteria. He said, I walked back there and said, what am I doing? Why did I come back here? I turn around. I start walking. I see you get off the elevator, and I know why I'm here. God delayed me to tell you. God hears every one of your prayers. He's with you. You know Jesus, Mr. Wheeler, and you know that if God chooses to take her, you know where she'll be in heaven. I've got to go now. I've got 20 patients, but that's why I was delayed. He gets on the elevator. Wow. I walked out saying that was a miracle. God intersected his schedule so he could be there for me. Yeah. Amen. More on the way when the Tim DeMoss Show resumes after a brief break on AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Live and local, it's the Tim DeMoss Show weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. Thanks, South Jersey, for making the Tim DeMoss Show part of your day on AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Dan Wheeler is our guest, uh, longtime uh, QVC host. The book is called Hurricane of Love. You know, God's not too um, too big to know. Yeah. Every Small, detail. medium, big. Yeah. Sometimes he says, yes, I'll give you that cardinal. Yeah. Sometimes no. You still know yeah. he's in charge. Right. But sometimes he's gracious and says, yeah. okay. I wanted to make sure um, I got to kind of – Shine the light a little bit. You mentioned Beth's influence when she was in the hospital and yours as well, how people who you know wouldn't have known you otherwise are noticing um, what's different about this is very, very different. Um, yeah. And it strikes a chord with me. I have – I've actually had three people in my life pass away from cancer in the last month. Wow. And one of wow. the uh, – and none of them are super close to me, but they're all like parent with their, with their husband or wife or their – dad or something one of them was also had a similar she's in her early 40s and had like doctors saying i don't get patients like this very often i don't say this very often but you really stood out because you were actually ministering to me and beth was doing that in the hospital wasn't she she was and part of the hurricane of love was that her love swept through the hallways of medical clinics doctors offices hospitals and she treated everyone so kindly. The nurses would literally get in early to see who could care for Beth Wheeler. They fought for her. <laughs> and the doctor, you know, 
here's a, a story. When Beth decided to stop treatment, that was a hard day when she told me yeah. because I brought her home, but we were taking her by ambulance to get these platelets she needed up in uh, Valley Forge. And um, I had to call her doctor to cancel our appointments and our and, – and, and the doctor was like, Dan, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll have the platelets. We'll get them to her house. And I said, it's not my decision. It's hers. She's had enough, and we've got to respect that. And she said, you know, she's my favorite patient of all time. Can I talk to her? And wow, was that tough because I could hear both sides of the conversation. And Beth is thanking her, knowing, saying, I know, Dr. S., you did everything you could. Um, I I call her Dr. Gale in the book. She said, thank you, your staff. And she said, Beth Wheeler, you're my favorite patient. It's been an honor. It's been such an honor. And you've affected me and so many people. So, I mean, that was amazing. But – I'm so excited the book's finally out, Tim. It's been such a journey to get it here. And people can get it right now at westbowpress.com. Okay. Go on the online bookstore or from Amazon. If you're going through a, a chronic illness, it could be an encouragement to you in that way. Or if you're caring for somebody like you were doing. Yes, exactly. You right. know, after my wife passed, my QVC Facebook page became a gathering place. People would write me with all their problems, and a lot of it was that. And the principles in the book do apply. And for anyone that's going through the loss of a loved one or caring for a loved one, I think it's going to give them so much hope and strengthen their faith. And and I, when I want people to really get a message, I put it in bold print. And there's there's advice about being in the hospitals and being an advocate for your patients. I mean, here she was in one of the best hospitals in the country, and she wasn't supposed to be stuck with a needle because of her platelet level, it was supposed to be done through her port. And one night, a phlebotomist came in, and I went to help her up afterwards, and I felt something wet. I turned on the light. Here, they'd stuck her. She could have bled to death. So I talk about yeah. do not leave them. Keep someone with them. But but also that um, pour your love into every situation. You know, um, you just – you've got one shot at this. And, and Tim, I knew when she got sick, I said, this is the biggest assignment of my life. This is like stepping to the plate with the bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, two out. I've got to hit a home run, and I, I've got to come through, and I cannot fail the Lord. And now I feel that way. That's why I want to get this message out. But there's a story about, um, uh, an, I call it an angel in my driveway. Okay. I was this near the, the end. I was bringing, yeah. Okay. I was bringing people. Do we have time? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. I was bringing people in from all around the country, family and friends, and I needed help. You know, everybody... When you're in a situation like that, they say, whatever you need, call me. Well, you never call them. So don't say that to people because you're so engrossed in the minute. It's minute by minute. You don't have time to ask people for help, and, and it's hard. So my advice in the book is just show up. Bring food, you know, bring food for people, bring snacks. My sax player in a band I play, and we play for charity. Uh, it's a classic rock band. He showed up with pretzels. What a nice treat for because we had like 25 people in my house. So I was sending people to the airport, and a mm. buddy I play in the band with, I sent him to pick up my one of my best friends, Brian, who's now a partner with me in Fearless Faith Ministries. And um, it was late at night. It was six days before Beth passed away. It was a Saturday night, and we're, it was probably close to midnight, and I went out to meet them, and all four of us are standing in the driveway talking, uh, John and his wife, Joey, my friend Brian, and me. And I noticed my friend John from the band wasn't saying much, and he kept just had a weird look on his face. And when they left, I asked Brian, I said, was John okay? Was he talkative? And he said, oh, yeah, he talked all the way from the airport. He was great. And I said, huh, 
It's kind of strange. He just didn't say much. Maybe he's tired. Well, the next day I got a message that I had to talk to John. He had to talk to me. So I called him. I said, come over after work. He came over. I went out, ran out, and sat in his car. And I said, what's up, John? He goes, well, Dan, I know you know in my past I've done a lot of drugs, but I know what I saw last night because I don't do drugs anymore. And I said, okay. And he said, and I also know you know I'm not a spiritual person. I said, okay, what did you see? He said, well, as you were talking, this being appeared right over you. I said, a being? What do you mean? He goes, it was about eight to nine feet tall. I couldn't see a face. It looked like a robe or a cloak, but it was so bright. The light was dancing like light off of water. Uh, and, And I had to look away from you. I couldn't look. It was so bright. He said, when I looked back, it was gone. But as you spoke, it was right over you again. And he kept saying it was about eight, nine, ten feet tall. And he said, and then I I had to look away again. I was afraid I was going to hurt my eyes, the brightness. And I said, John, what do you think it was? He said, I'm not a spiritual person, but I think it was an angel. Hmm. I said, so do I, John, because we've been having prayer meetings in the bedroom there, and I know there's angels all around us. Yeah. And my sister said, how come John got to see it and we didn't? I, said, <laughs> I know. Everybody I always said, says that, I right? said, Mary Jane, we don't need to see angels. We know they're here. We walk by faith. So that was a great story, and that was one of many miracles. There's another miracle about my neighbor one day. Something told me to get out of bed, and I wanted to stay in bed with Beth for as long as I could just to hold her hand. She was swollen and filled with fluid, and uh, her hands were swollen. But um, something told me to get out of bed, and as I'm walking by my front door, I hear a very faint tap at the door. I wouldn't have heard it from the bedroom. I open the door. It's my neighbor, Daryl, who's a helicopter mechanic. And he said, Dan, I don't know how to tell you this, but I've been up all night. I feel like God has given me a message for Beth, and I know this guy. He loves the Lord. And anybody else would have been like, I don't know. And I said, okay, let me tell her. So I said, Beth, Daryl feels like he has a message for you. And she said, well, can he wait? I want to get cleaned up. He waited 45 minutes in my kitchen. I took him in. Now, Daryl is not an eloquent speaker. He's a wonderful guy, blue-collar worker, but speaking is not his gift. And I've never heard him speak like this. He turned in to Billy Graham that day. (laughs) He walked in. He said, Beth, I've got good news. Jesus is here, and he wants to heal you. He's either going to heal you now or he'll heal you for eternity, and you're going to get out of this mess of of a world before us. And then he told the story from Matthew chapter 9. I think it's the 20, 21st verse about the woman with an issue of blood. Yeah. Daryl had no idea Beth's issue was with her blood. And he said she knew if she could just reach out and touch the hem of his garment as he walked by, she'd be healed. So, Beth, if you're afraid in the next few days, just reach out and touch Jesus. Reach up and touch him. He's here. I follow him out of the room outside. Tears are streaming down my face. I said, Daryl, where did that come from? He goes, I don't know. That wasn't me. He he goes back to his the way he normally talks. He goes, you know, I can't talk like that. That was God. I was like, wow, was that powerful. So here's the kicker. Beth couldn't even lift her hands to wipe a tear away. We had to wipe away tears from her eyes. Her hands were so swollen. And I got to tell you, Tim, probably five or six times over the next few days, we saw her with her eyes closed, hands shot straight up in the air. The book ends on this note. It's called A Gift from Above. My daughter and I, I said, let's go somewhere warm. After Beth passed away in, in the fall, in that spring, I said, let's just go relax on a beach. So I took my whole family down to Captiva Island. We're on the beach, and Kirsten tells us she's pregnant. And we all said, wouldn't it be cool if you had a girl? Because she had two boys, and she'd always said it. she'd name it after her mom. So Kirsten's name is, uh, middle name is Brooke, 
and Beth's name was Elizabeth. So one day in September, she wasn't due till October. I get a text, Dad, I'm going to have this baby tonight, I think. I said, great. I'll go. I'll meet you at the hospital. And I looked at the date on my phone. It was September 21st. I couldn't believe it. I met Beth on September 21st, and our song was always Earth, Wind, and Fire, September. We came out dancing to that at Kirsten's <laughs> wedding when they introduced us as her parents. Wouldn't you know that baby that night at 8.09, the 21st night of September, was born, and it was a girl Brooke Elizabeth, and we felt like Beth had held her in heaven first and like Beth was there with us in the room. So much love. And my point is, when God gives you a gift, he gives it in such a personal way, you know it's from him. And every time I see that little girl, I see my late wife, Beth. And so the circle of life continues. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming in. Dan Wheeler, longtime QVC host, and the book is called Hurricane of Love. Tim, thank you so much for having me. You're a great guy. It's great to meet you. More on the way when the Tim DeMoss Show resumes after a brief break on AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. Thank you, Philadelphia, for tuning in. It's the Tim DeMoss Show coming down the home stretch of our swell broadcast. Joe, are you ready? I'm ready, Tim. I'm ready. Today, it's a very special day. Thank you, Tim. But it's not because of you. I mean, oh. I like you, but it's not because of you. <laughs> no, sorry. Are you hearing voices, Joe? I, I am. am. That <laughs> must be why you're thankful. That's because I have a special guest in studio. Thank you, Tim. My lovely wife came in. Hi, dear wifey. Hello. And we also have Julia. Hi. She's not my daughter, but she's like a daughter. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Theodora. Hi. <laughs> hey. That's not okay. The last, last <laughs> night nice. Theodora was out of the area and, and told you what? I was only I was not permitted to play baby crying during dad's pun section. <laughs> Why was that, Theodora? Because you didn't want to miss it? No. Do you even remember saying it? Yeah, of course. Well anyway, now that you're here, can he use it? Okay, don't put any baby cries on my dad, okay? But on her you can't, because <laughs> oh, we're going to share the puns. No, not on me either. Are oh. you ready? How about put on, it Julia? on Julia. Julia? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Hey! Right, yeah. <laughs> no, you can't do that. Ladies first, young to old. So, Theodore, you pick one off your list and go for it, and Joe's going to grade you. Only one? Well, just start from the top, go to the bottom. Okay. Why did the pony have to gargle? Because it was a little horse. (laughs) (laughs) Julia, you're up. I wasn't originally going to get a brain transplant, but then I changed my mind. (laughs) You can't laugh. It's supposed to be the sound effect. Well, you can laugh. All right, I'm going to do one. Joe, what do you get when you cross a snake and a plane? Ah. A Boeing constrictor. <laughs> Theodora, you're up. Okay. What do you call a pig with three eyes? A pig. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It has three eyes in the middle, Joe. P-I-I-G. A pig. <laughs> Joe's looking. If you can see Joe right now, there's a huge question mark just hovering over his head. Julia, you ready? Yeah. When can't you see cheese? 
when it's pasteurized. Hey! <laughs> like past your eyes. <laughs> Joe, yeah, I didn't really if I could that. give you some advice, Joe, uh-huh. it would be do not interrupt somebody working intently on a puzzle. Mm. Chances are you'll hear some cross words. <laughs> Second time. All right, Theodora, you're up. What do you do if you're cold? Stand in the corner. It's 90 degrees. What was that? Hey, why did that get a laugh? That's three stooges. They're always good. All right, Julia, you're up. Did you hear about the little girl who went upstairs to get some medicine? I think she's coming down with something. (laughs) Says the girl who's sick. Hey! Are you feeling any better? Yes. No. Thank you. Julia doesn't always sound like this. My voice is a little higher. Dad, I don't feel good either, um, so... I just want to tell everybody that somebody stole all the lamps in my house. Uh-oh. I could not be more delighted. What about yeah. what about Crickets. candles? I resemble that remark. All right, Theodore, are you out of, out of them? Do you have any more? I have one more. Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> what is it when a kitten... Oh, no. What is it called when a kitten went to dog show? A cat has trophy. <laughs> a cat has trophy. That's good. All right, Julia. That was immediate. Okay. This one's dumb. <laughs> we'll do it anyway. Without geometry, life is pointless. Okay, yeah. What? Joe gave a nice one there. That's very good. Get yes. the help this week. With my assistants, Julia and Theodora, well done. You guys don't get any money for this, but it, it was worth it coming in, right? Can I we come back? Yeah. yeah. Bet. Sure. Well, we'll ask the audience. If the audience says time. it was a hit, you know, because yeah. it's all about popularity. We have to make this a popular show. Why did you show. just say that off air? Oh. <laughs> Dear wife, do you want to do one? <laughs> She's going to hit me. <laughs> She's happy to not do one. Well, I'll do one for her. All right. Do it in her voice. Can I, can I do the crying baby? Yeah, sure. Okay. Do it in her voice. Though you can't. Just remember, time flies like an arrow. Fruit flies like a banana. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't even make any sense. It's, it does. Fruit it's flies a, like banana. It's a different kind of a thing. We'll have to have it. Like, well, pun one oh. Now it's dawning. Oh, I get it. Booyah. Booyah. All right. Booyah. Let's wrap it up. Thanks for coming in. Always a pleasure. Mm-hmm. And remember, one last thing. If you ever wonder what you should call the wife of a hippie, you just call her Mrs. Hippie. You've been listening to The Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL. For complete shows and interviews, download our podcast at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening to The Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.